Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington. I've got Dave Nichols from the District Sports page on the phone. It's been a long time, Dave. How are you doing this winter? Good. Cold. <laughs> it's cold here now, too. It's just starting. We got our first snow today. Let's get right into it, though. This past weekend, the Nationals made a big trade. Drew Storen and Cash to the Toronto Blue Jays were Ben Revere. I will not call him Paul, even though I'm determined to try to every time I say his name. But Ben Revere and a player to be named later come in the Nationals' way. As I described it to you in our notes for the show, uh, it's a trade everyone saw coming since the Nationals acquired Jonathan Papelbon last uh, July. The Nats get the left-handed leadoff type batter they need. Storen gets a shot somewhere else to start over again after being supplanted as a Nationals closer twice in his career with the Nats. Uh, it's a good start for Storen. and I think a good place for him to go and kind of set himself up for free agency in a place where he has a chance to start all over again. Nationals kind of get what they need. Is this a win-win for both sides in the trade that went down this weekend? Well, as Jim Bowden once told me, you trade a reliever <laughs> for a player every single time. And um, and while you know Ben Revere might not be the sexiest of all players, uh, he's certainly useful. I mean, he comes in with a... Uh, 295, 328, 348 career line. Um, he's a good base runner. He's a, an okay defender. He's got a, a, a pretty crummy arm, but um, but he can go and get him pretty well. Um, I think he's probably best suited for left field, although the Nats will probably try to use him in center field. Um, Revere's a useful player. Uh, you mentioned uh, the left-handed bat, top-of-the-order type of guy. Um, we probably saw his peak last year. Um, combining to, to hit 306, 342, 377. Um, if the Nats can get that out of him for the next year or two, I think they'd be um, pretty happy with that. That's about what um, Denard Span gave them at the top of the order. So this is a player that um, is kind of funny. He followed in Denard Span's footsteps in Minnesota. He's going to do the same thing now in D.C. Um, it, it's a shame that, that it costs him Drew Storen. I mean, he's a player that obviously you and I both like a lot. Uh, both professionally and personally, he's he's a, he's a hard guy to not like. Um, you know, some people will bemoan the idea that the Nets um, they still harp on the idea that, that the Nets drafted a pure reliever that high in the draft that year. But um, so, you know, the bottom line is Drew Storen uh, be a dominant pitcher. Uh, obviously, his problems have been um, have been explained in, in excruciating detail in the DC area. Um, but but this was a good trade for the Nets. You know, they traded a guy that was disgruntled here, uh, obviously not happy with um, with being made being pushed into into second banana um, when the Nets traded for Jonathan Papelbon. So, um, like you said, Nets get a useful part, a part that they kind of needed. Um, they they send Storm to a position where um, where he can start fresh and, and have a new a uh, new opportunity. It's kind of neat that. Um, that a guy that was once a, a bad boy for the Montreal Expos is now going to be playing for the Toronto Blue Jays. So, um, so good for him, fresh start for him, and um, and hopefully the Nats can can make good use out of Revere at the top of the order. Yeah, and also a good thing for Drew Storen that set up men and seventh inning guys are starting to get paid a lot better than they did in the past since everyone's sort of recognizing the value of having that strong seventh, eighth, and ninth inning option. So. Even if he doesn't end up closing in Toronto, which is a question mark at this point, it looks like he can set himself up nicely for free agency after this season. And 
turning to the Nationals, though, what does it mean to you? Do you think that they brought Revere in at this point, and what does it mean for Michael A. Taylor? You mentioned quickly there that Revere probably be better off in right, but I agree with you. I think he's going to be playing in center field most times, whether or not they try a platoon out there and have Michael A. Taylor going against lefties, Revere out there against righties. I really don't know if that's what they're going to do. I kind of have a feeling here that it's going to be Revere most of the time and uh, Michael A. Taylor filling in as a fourth outfielder. Uh, I think Chelsea James at the Washington Post described it as a super utility outfielder, essentially giving Worth some time off and giving uh, you know Revere some time. He can play any position, essentially. And I think Bryce Harper is going to be out there and right every time he's uh, – available for the lineup. I don't see the Nationals moving into center, as a lot of uh, people I've seen on the Internet are hoping that they're going to do. I have a feeling it's going to be Revere out there. So what does this mean for Michael Taylor to you, that they went out there and not only got Revere in the end, but made an offer to Hayward that was going to change things in the outfield. They checked in on Cargo and the Rockies outfielders, one of which looks like they're going to be dealt any moment now, essentially. So what do you think this future holds for Michael A. Taylor? Is he going to be that fourth outfielder on the Nats? Uh, they thought he was going to be going into last season. Well, I think you're right. I think I think we are going to see Taylor playing that fourth outfielder role. Um, I, I certainly think that we can see him giving um, giving Revere days off against tough lefties. I think we can see him giving Jason Worth days off, uh, you know, on a routine basis to, to rest Worth's legs um, to try to keep Worth healthy throughout the season. Um, certainly, uh, when Worth makes his inevitable trip to the disabled list, Taylor will fill in there, uh, much like he did this past year. Um, it, it strengthens the Nats. It, it makes them deeper. It, it makes them uh, not as reliant on um, having to trot Clint Robinson out in the outfield or um, or any one of the other uh, um, you know pseudo outfield slash first base types that they have um, you know that they've had available to them the last couple of years. Um, you know, it, it makes Den, Matt Dendecker um, the fifth outfielder, a guy that can run, a guy that can play some defense. So I think we'll probably see Dendecker in a uh, defensive replacement situation. Um, I think we see we could see Taylor doing that a little bit too. I don't think um, I don't think we'll see a straight platoon in center field between Revere and Taylor. Um, I think that 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 the bigger picture though with the Nets, um, you know, making all the effort that they did to acquire a starting outfielder. Um, I think that tells us that that either they don't see Worth, they don't see Taylor as as a full time player right now, or they see the things that he needs to work on and would rather work have him work on them um, as a um, bench player, fourth outfielder type, you know, starter two or three times a week as opposed to a starter uh, six or seven times a week right now. Um, Taylor's got a lot of promise. He, he's got he's got decent pop, he's got decent speed. Um, he's a good defender. Um, but he just he does a doesn't make enough contact and b doesn't make up for that uh, with his on base skills. His on base skills are very poor. I mean, this is a guy that got 400 at bats last year with a with an on base percentage of under 300, and that's just completely unacceptable. Um, so until the point where Taylor either starts to make more contact or starts to control his at bats a little bit better, um, I think this is a good deal for the Nats, and you can see the type of players that the Nationals went out and acquired this year are guys that can make contact, guys that strike out less, guys that get on base more. Um, those are the type of players that uh, um, that you can you can build the top of the order around and then you get the power guys behind them uh, to drive them in type of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I think the Nets were not completely um, thrilled about Michael Taylor's end results last year and see that he's still a work in progress and don't want to rely on him uh, to be a starter this year. 
Do you think it's as much about uh, not being sure about Jason Worth either after injuries the last couple of years? I still think he's got something left in him. When they signed him, they talk about how he was kind of young in baseball years, even though he's getting up there in his actual age. Yeah, didn't you know? Didn't really start his career in the majors until later in his career, and you know, has something left. I think I don't. I don't think Jason Worth is done uh, defensively. I have a lot of questions about him out there, but. Do you think this uh, getting Revere and going after an outfielder in general is as much about him as their uncertainty with Michael Taylor? Oh, absolutely. And and uh, I'm going to be completely frank about this. You're a lot higher on Jason Worth right now at this point. <laughs> um, he has not played a full season. He played, he's played one of the last four years. He's played a full season. Um, he, he's, he's, he played 81 games in 2012. He played 129 in 2013. He played 88 last year. Um, this is a guy um, that is breaking down physically, and and, it, and it's easy enough to say. Um, but once guys start getting hurt, they don't not get hurt anymore. These are guys that, that will continue to go on the disabled list. Uh, these are guys that that, that that you can rely on that less in your order, uh, less in, in to you can't depend on them as much as as, as you used to be able to. And um, and, and frankly. If you look at his production, when he has been in the lineup, it was good up until this past season. Um, but this past year, you know, 378 at bats, 221, 302, 384. I mean, that's not Jason Worth. So um, even when he did get back into the lineup, he still wasn't the player that 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 the Nats had need to depend on. So yeah, so this is also about replacing Jason Worth. This is also about um, you know getting Taylor into a position to to spell Worth. Um, you know, we could see Taylor start in left field twice a week, three times a week. I mean, it's hard to say. Um, but what we do know is that Jason Worth is breaking down, uh, will spend time on the disabled list, and the Nets needed better options uh, to replace him this year than they did last year with Clinton Robinson and Tyler Moore and, and the other players that they, they that they got forced to playing out there. And I know Jason Worth talked this winter when uh, reporters talked to him at Nats Winterfest about the fact that the wrist injury, which is, you know, what the third or fourth injury and surgery he's had on the wrist. And, you know, I wasn't surprised at all that the power wasn't necessarily there, that he took a long time to get back up to speed. And, you know, it really did cost the Nationals last year. But you got to wonder what he has left at this age, two years left on the contract. He's making $20 million in each of these years. So they're expecting a lot of them. They're expecting him to be out on the field there. But how much he can actually do it is a big question mark. And I'll be interested to see when he gets to spring training how, and when the season starts how he looks compared to what he was last year with a, you know another year removed from the, uh, surgery on the wrist to clear that up again or breaking right. it, I, I should say. Yeah, I mean, this was not a minor injury that he had. I mean, this was another major injury on top of an area that he already had major injury to. So, um, you know, Major League Baseball players, uh, you know, generate their their bat speed from their hands and their wrists, and, and this is a particularly bad injury. I mean, it would have been a particularly bad injury had Worth not had the already uh, complicating factor of the prior injury. So um, it, it's not... Um, you know, it's not certain that even even after a winter of rest and strengthening that he's still going to come back. I mean, this is not not a a certainty. I mean, these two years on his contract were the two that everybody worried about when he, when the Nats signed him, uh, you know, five years ago to this deal. I mean, these were going to be his albatross years, and um, frankly, you know, last year was a harbinger of it. And you know, he, he might prove us wrong. He might come back and, and, and be a useful player this year and next year. 
But the odds aren't good on it. I mean, the odds right now say that Jason Worth is breaking down and, and is going to be an albatross the next two years, and um, and he's got he's got a lot of baseball to prove um, to prove those those sentiments wrong. Um, frankly, the Nets are depending on him because if if he goes out and, and hits two twenty one, three hundred two, three eighty four again this year. Um, that's going to force Michael Taylor into a starting role. And then you're talking about having to carry Jason Moore's $20 million contract for the next two years. And everything that we've talked about with the outfield to this point is why I wasn't at all surprised that the Nationals ended up in the running for Jason Hayward. The amount they were willing to offer, a $200 million reported offer, maybe did catch me a little by surprise. And I'm not too surprised that they didn't go after anyone after that, at least any of the big-name ones. They end up getting Revere, who as we said, fits what they need pretty well. But when Hayward's out there, you know, his age, what he's done so far in his career, his defensive skills, and the fact that he has some, you know, room for growth with power, it didn't surprise me at all that they made that effort or that they didn't go after anyone else after that until they got Revere here. Right. Any of the well, big free agents, I should say. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, the free agents that they did sign here pretty quickly. But, um, but yeah, you know, Revere is a typical – uh, is a typical Mike Rizzo move. I mean, here's a guy that um, that is still under contract for another year after they acquired him. Uh, it's a reasonable contract. Uh, he's a he's a useful player. He's not a, he's not an all star by any means, but he's definitely a useful player. Uh, fits a need that the Nets had when he acquired him, um, and, and isn't going to break the bank. And um, you know, Denard Span, uh, who. Revere replaces was exactly the same type of player. So um, it would, no, that that move didn't surprise me. The other move that we're going to talk about surprised me surprises me a little bit, uh, considering the way that, that that Rizzo operates. But um, and, and 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 as long as we're still talking about the outfield, um, it, it didn't it, it it didn't surprise me at all that they went after Hayward because Hayward's the type of player that you can build um, that, that you build around as opposed to fill in spots. So I mean, if they had acquired Hayward, then the Nats were going to do an awful lot of, of, of different things. Um, but Revere is more of a player that I expected Rizzo to go after this year, um, and and it doesn't surprise me at all that, that, that he's going to be playing every day for the Nats. You tease this one, so we'll just jump down to there and then go to the bullpen after that. But Daniel Murphy gets a three-year, $37.5 million deal, coming off a great postseason run, turns down the qualifying offer, which would have paid him $15.8 million on a one-year deal with the Mets after a 281, 322, 449, 38 double, 14 home run, 2.5 F4 season. And the Mets, they won the NLE, so went to the postseason all the way to the World Series where he struggled a little bit after just had a fantastic postseason at that point where he hit as many home runs as he hit in full seasons previously. But the glove is obviously an issue. Uh, they acknowledge as much in the press conference introducing them to the nation's capital, but they bring in the big Met there. They got a contact bat. doesn't strike out the lowest strikeout totals in the majors last year, which is kind of impressive when you look at it. I, I think I tweeted over to you the other day that he struck out 38 times total in the season. Ian Desmond had that many Ks by the middle of May. So really impressive season overall for Daniel Murphy last year, and he gets paid for it. Are, are the Nationals going to regret this deal, or is it short enough that they can live with three years no matter what he does? And what do you think of his defense at second base and how that's going to affect things going forward? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the money first. I don't think this is enough, even if even if Murphy um, isn't the player that they hope he's going to be, 
I, I don't think it's enough money that it's going to kill them or hamper them to do anything else that they want to do. I, when they when they were talking about you know, laying out two hundred million for for Hayward or whatever, and people are saying, well, they should just give that to Harper. Um, you know, that that's apples to oranges type of thing. I don't think the money or the yeah. length of the contract hurt them. Um, you know, if they if they given Murphy a five or seven year deal, then we're talking something different. But um, but this is a deal that's, that's going to be over in the blink of an eye. So. Um, I don't think that's big a deal. The thing that, that surprises me about the Murphy deal, uh, actually there are a couple of things. Number one, his defense is atrocious. Uh, he's probably the worst fielding, regularly playing infielder um, in the National League whose name is not Yunel Escobar. Um, it's it just <laughs> – he's, 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 he's no good. I mean, he's got an iron glove. They can they can defend it any any way they want it. Um, but this this guy's a designated hitter being forced into playing the field because he plays in the National League. So as long as everybody's straight on what they're getting at second base here, um, then then everybody can go into this with open eyes. Um, he's an okay offensive player. He's not a superstar by any means. Um, you know, a lifetime 288, 331, 424. I mean, this is a guy that, that is – um, I hope that Nats fans aren't thinking that he's going to come in because of his um, his, his success in, in, in the early rounds of the playoffs and think he's going to come in and hit 30 home runs. He's not going to. He, last year was his best power year. He hit 14. Um, you know, projections right now have him anywhere between 11 and 16 home runs. So this is not a guy that's a middle-of-the-order, run-producing, uh, driving driving batters in all over the place. That's just not him. I mean, he is a um, he's a contact guy. Um, he's a he's a singles doubles guy. He's got um, a moderate amount of pop. Um, he's a number two hitter. He's a number seven hitter. Um, he's not a three four five guy. And if the Nats uh, get pressed into using them that, using him that way, or think that somehow magically that, that playoff run turned him into that type of player, um, that's just simply not the case. He is not that type of player. So um, as long as everybody comes into this with open eyes about what he's going to bring offensively and defensively, um, this was an okay move. So, the, the, But the two things that did surprise me um, about going after Daniel Murphy are this. Number one is the defense. Just It's just horrible, and I can't understate that enough. Um, number two, he cost the Nets a, a, a draft pick. Right, yeah. uh, he was he given off. He was offered, our, uh, you know, um, arbitration, or yeah, he, he turned it down. So he's he's he nets the Mets a, a compensatory compensatory pick. I can say that word, um, and, and cost the Nets the draft. Um, that's what surprises me. Then when I when I mentioned earlier that that the Revere sign the Revere uh, you know acquisition was a, as a typical Rizzo move. He didn't give up any picks. He didn't um, you know get rid of any long term assets. He it's under a reasonable contract. Um, Murphy's the complete opposite. I mean, this is a guy that is a um, that is an everyday starter in the major leagues, and I'm not taking that away from him. He's, he's got a decent bat, but he's not a superstar. And it cost Rizzo a pick. It cost Rizzo a multi-contract deal, a multi-year contract, um, and it cost him a good chunk of money. I mean, $55, $55 million over three years is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so that's why I say that this is not a typical Rizzo deal, um, that this is a deal that was that was born out of, um, I won't say panic, um, but it was born out of, uh, of a necessity. And the way that uh, the free agent market was shaping up with uh, with middle infielders, Rizzo, I guess, decided at some point he had to do something, and this is what he decided to do. Um, it makes a division opponent a little bit weaker, sure, um, so I suppose there's that added benefit to it. Um, I just thought this was an atypical Mike Rizzo move, um, and 
it just, it, you know, with all the other options that, that, that there could have been to either acquire a second baseman or a third baseman or, or frankly, a shortstop, um, this one that he made um, is the least, quote-unquote, Rizzo-like move that he that he had out there, and it's the one that he ended up with. Yeah, I'm assuming with the draft picks that they must have either think it's a deep draft or don't think it's a deep draft and think what they're going to get in their compensatory uh, picks between the first and second round for uh, Ian Desmond eventually assuming he's going to sign with somebody and Jordan Zimmerman leaving were as good as what they were going to get in the 17th, 18th spot. So that's the only reason I can see justifying this. And I, I agree. I think I would have liked it a little more if they had made uh, qualifying offers to at least Denard's fans. So you got three picks in that middle first and second round, but you're going to get two of them. I, I'm guessing the thinking there is that those picks are, you know, a 17, 18 versus a 31, 32, Maybe they don't think there's going to be that much of a difference or think the draft is deep enough that they're going to get a quality player in one of those spots. Well, but I, you know, look, picking at 17 as opposed to picking at 32, 35, 38, or, or wherever they fall in the compensatory, why can't I say that word? Um, <laughs> you know, that that's just silly. I mean, the high, higher you pick, the better off the chance you have of getting a regular major league player. But, um, but again, um, you know, Murphy doesn't seem like the type of guy that Rizzo would be willing to sacrifice a first-round pick. I mean, you know as well as I do um, that Rizzo prides himself in the draft. He prides himself in, in amateur scouting. Um, it's a big deal to him. And for him to sign a player like Murphy, who is a good but not great player, um, to lose that pick is really a big deal. A quick aside before we get into the bullpen, are you surprised Ian Desmond is still out there? Uh, Kind of not after watching what happened to him last season and seeing you know how he reacted to having the pressure of playing in a contract year on him and you have to think teams out there looking at him are thinking how is he going to react to trying to live up to a big deal if they give him one this winter are, are you surprised he's still available out there? Uh, I am a little bit, I, but there are a lot of good players that are still available out there. So it's um, this winter has been kind of strange as far as the free agent market has gone, but. Um, you know, we've seen reports that people are looking at Desmond as a center fielder as opposed to a shortstop. I think there's an awful lot of concern about his, thro- about his throwing problems. Um, the range at shortstop, is, as we all know, is absolutely terrific, but um, but his arm is a huge question mark. I mean, it always has been. It was it was worse last year than it was the previous year. Um, you know, you, we talked uh, you know about the on base skills and 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 the type of player that Desmond is. Guys that guys that are medium pop, medium speed, free swingers um, don't age very well. I mean, this is a guy that you know. Obviously, we've watched him his entire career. Uh, he's a guess hitter. Uh, he's looking for fastball, and and when he doesn't get it, it, it makes him look really bad. I mean, these are the type of players that age really, um, really poorly. And I think we're seeing. The, the lack of interest on him uh, this off season it, it kind of tells me two things. Number one, that that general managers, uh, maybe not general managers, but at least uh, uh, major league scouting organizations throughout the league um, have done their homework. Um, and then number two, that that Desmond is probably being picky about where he wants to play. Um, I think you know if, if he's not signed in the next two or three weeks. Um, you're certainly going to see a little bit of a, of a shift there, and, and he'll probably settle for something. But, um, but again, I think Desmond is the type of player that Murphy is, that major league general managers don't want to give up their first-round draft pick 
uh, to sign these type of guys, and I think that's hurting uh, Desmond as well this off season, um and why I'm, I'm as surprised as I am that Rizzo um, settled for Murphy as as his help at, at second base shortstop this offseason. Speaking of shortstop with the Nationals, are, are you along with me assuming that Danny Espinosa is going to open the season while they wait for uh, Trey Turner's arbitration clock to work out for them and uh, when they signed Stephen Drew, I think that was pretty much the death knell on my dream of Trey Turner being the opening day shortstop, and thus he goes into spring training and completely outplays Espinosa, or Espinosa, you know, falls himself and does something to lose the job essentially. But looking at opening day at this point and w- what they've done so far this winter, are you assuming it's going to be Espinosa and Murphy up the middle at least to start the season? No, I'm not. I'm assuming Stephen Drew is the starting shortstop. Hmm. Um, I, I think Danny Espinosa does not want to hear that. I, I think that the Nats are absolutely ecstatic that Danny Espinosa can play second base, shortstop, and third third base, um, all with quality defense. Um, I think that they like the pop that he can give him off the bench. I think that they really like the utility that Danny Espinosa brings, and I think they signed Stephen Drew to be the shortstop. Yeah, I, I gave Danny the question at Nats Winterfest when we talked to them, and I asked if he, you know, just to let him say that he wants it. If he wants the starting shortstop job, he said after, you know, Ian Desmond's out of here, he's waited, he wants that job. That's where he's most comfortable, and I think you're going to have a very disappointed and potentially angry player on your hands if he doesn't end up winning that job. But I kind of think Stephen Drew is more, yeah, I don't know. I don't know which of those two I'd want to have out there on an everyday basis. The answer is Trey Turner, if I was to be honest, but I don't think Trey Turner is going to start this season at that point. And what do you do with Espinosa if he once again loses out on this spot? And is that time where you have to part ways with him in some way, or do you think he's going to just go back to that utility role happily? Well, I don't think Espinosa has any choice. I mean, obviously he wants to be the starter at shortstop. Anybody would want to start. Um, you know, Espinosa's, you know, coming into his last year of arbitration as well. So he's looking at, at becoming a free agent and being a starter somewhere, whether it's here or elsewhere. Um, and he can show uh, his best benefit to the team playing every day. But uh, I just don't see the Nats seeing him as a as an everyday starter. I mean, again, you know, we talk about the contact rate. We talk about uh, the on-base skills. Um, those aren't traits that Danny Espinosa has. Danny Espinosa has pop. He's got a little bit of speed. Um, and and for, quite frankly, his best, um, his best uh, quality for this team is, is the defense that he brings at three different positions. So, um, you know, obviously the Nats this winter uh, made it a big deal to go after players with better contact rates, with better on-base skills, um, less power. Um, I mean, this, they're, they're going to turn this team into – um, into what the Kansas City Royals have done the last couple of years. You know, they see the success that the Royals have in it. Um, and and I think you're going to see that more in baseball. I think you're going to see more of a return to, um, you know, contact, get them on, get them over, get them in type of thing, as opposed to waiting for the three-run home run. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily a shift, um, a shift for good baseball, um, I think we know after 120 years of Major League Baseball that the best way to, to, to win baseball games is to get base, base runners on and then have somebody drive them in. Um, you know, relying on a series of a string of hits to score runs like the Royals do um, is a very difficult way to play baseball. And essentially you have to have eight or nine batters in the order that all play that way um, with the high contact rates to be able to um, to move runners around that way. The Nats right now, 
Um, you know, obviously they brought in uh, Revere and, and Murphy, who both play that game, um, but they still, you know, with Ryan Zimmerman and and, and Bryce Harper and um, you know, and, and a couple of the other players, Anthony Rendon, that they have, you know, this is still a team that, that the middle of the order is built on power. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if by sprinkling in some of these contact guys that that, that method still works um, with the players that they do have. So um, that's a long way of going around to saying that, no, I don't think that they see Danny Espinosa as a starter um, with his with his pop, um, but no on base skills, um, you know, that he brings that he brings to the batting order. And having not considered Stephen Drew as opening day shortstop before you said it, now that I'm thinking about it a little bit, I do think it might be a little bit easier to work Trey Turner in in, in that case if you start uh, Stephen Drew there instead of starting Danny Espinosa. If you start Espinosa there, he gets off to a good start. Turner is ready to come up, and how do you kick Danny out of that spot at that point? It might be a little bit easier to justify kicking Drew out of that spot for someone who I think could clearly be a more per- – more productive player in Trey Turner and just have uh, Espinosa in that utility spot from the start, and that wouldn't be as much of a blow for him to, you know, lose that spot when Trey Turner's ready. Right. Well, well that's the other thing. I, um, when you were talking about a spring, spring training battle, um, I think the battle's going to be between Turner and Drew, not Turner and Espinosa. Um, I, I yeah. frankly don't think Trey Turner has anything left to prove in the minor leagues. Um, but it, it's, it was prudent for the Nationals to go out and sign a guy that can play shortstop um, if they get into spring training and Turner looks overmatched for whatever reason. I mean, Turner um, Turner is, is exactly uh, the Kansas City Royal model of player. He's He's got good contact skills. He's got decent on-base skills. He plays good defense, no pop whatsoever. Um, and the, the, the last bit on him is whether he sticks at shortstop or not. Um, he has been able to stick there through his career in the minor leagues, um, I think he can be an okay shortstop in the big leagues. I'm not sure that he's ever going to be a gold glove winner, um, but but I think he's competent enough that he can play shortstop and, and stick in the major leagues. The thing about Trey Turner is he's going to have to hit 300 with on-base skills of 340 or 350 at the big leagues um, to stick in a lineup, I mean, because he just has zero pop whatsoever. Um, but, but, but my point going back to the original part of this is that um, – you know, they brought in a guy that can play everyday shortstop uh, should they feel like they need to send Turner back to the minor leagues at the start of the season. Let's get into the bullpen before we wrap this up because there's a lot going on there. Mike Rizzo said last winter when he tried to rebuild the bullpen then that you essentially do that every spring and you bring in a bunch of guys, you change things up, different roles, and see what you get. This time we're subtracting Drew Storen, Craig Stammen, Matt Thornton, adding Sean Kelly, Yusmero Petit, Oliver Perez, Trevor Gott, who I really like the look of him, to the mix there with Blake Trinan, Felipe Rivero, Papelbon. What do you think of the job Mike Rizzo's done to try to rebuild this bullpen after it was a serious issue for them last year with some of the guys who tried to put in higher leverage positions not necessarily working out and never really being able to replace Tyler Clifford? Do you think they have the arms now going forward that they have improved the bullpen significantly? Well, they've got a whole bunch of new arms. <laughs> it, it might not be any better, but it's certainly. Um, look, you know, we both really like Felipe Rivero and what he did last year. Um, I think he was one of the Nats' biggest successes, having never pitched above Double A before the start of the season. So um, he's obviously going to get a bigger role. Yusmero uh, Petit um, obviously has been very good for very long. Last year his number started to drop, so hopefully um, that was just a blip and not um, not a trend. 
Um, you know, uh, Trevor got, you know, we're, we're going to have to see, obviously, uh, as a rookie last year with the Angels, uh, his, his role um, kept increasing as the season went along. They started trusting him later and later in the year. Um, you know, obviously put up some very good numbers in the minor leagues. Um, okay numbers last year. Um, hopefully his, his strikeout numbers can, can keep progressing back to what they were in the minors. Um, you know, a lot of this is going to come down to whether um, whether they've learned how to use Blake Trinan correctly, whether Trinan can develop enough of a third pitch to be uh, even reasonably effective against left-handers because at this point in his career he has shown complete ineffectiveness and, and he can't lock down that quote-unquote eighth-inning guy role if he can't get left-handers out. It's just it's just as simple as that. So, um, you know, like I said, they, they might not be any better, but they're completely different. It's not through lack of effort at this point. Um, you know, baseball-wise, uh, Papelbon ought to be perfectly acceptable as a closer this year. I don't think he's, I, I don't think he's tradable in any in any manner whatsoever. Which is why Storen had to go um, instead of Papelbon. I certainly would have liked this team a lot better with Storen coming in as the closer as opposed to Papelbon, but um, you know he's just he's he's untradeable. I mean he's the least tradable player in baseball right now, um, and it's not even the money. It's just that people don't want one of their players booed by the home crowd on opening day, which is what the Nats are 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 heading into this year. I mean Jonathan Papelbon, the Nationals' closer, will be booed by the home crowd when he's introduced on opening day. It's just it's an embarrassment. Um, it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, but right now, Rizzo's hands are tied unless he just simply cuts the guy and eats the money, and they're not going to do that. I mean, baseball-wise, Papelbon is still an effective enough player um, that they can't they can't just simply wait him. Um, they're going to have to put up with him and everything that he is and represents um, as the Nats closer this year. There's just no there's no way to there's no way to avoid it at this point. I think it's humorous that there's been sort of a blowback against people who dislike Papelbon at this point by people <laughs> on the internet who are now complaining about people disliking Papelbon. But do you think the Nationals are kind of underestimating the way their fan base feels about him? I, I, every time I write an article that mentions his name, my uh, Twitter feed is filled up with people who are angry at the idea that he's even still on this team, Twitter and Facebook. You know, a lot of fans who are passionate about this team are on social media all the time and you don't see too many of them until recently when that little turnaround I've talked about is uh, I've seen some people starting to stick up for him and saying that he's, he's a good pitcher and you may not like him, but he's effective in that role. Do you think the Nats are kind of underestimating what the fans think here, or do you think they're assuming that if the Nationals are winning, fans will deal with him at least, if not like him? Jonathan Papelbon is the least likable player in the major leagues. Uh, I, said, I said it when were thinking about trading for him. I said it when they traded for him, and I said it the entire last two months of the season last year. Nobody likes Jonathan Papelbon except Jonathan Papelbon, and and obviously his agent. Um, however, this last episode with with, with the choking out of, of of Bryce Harper and 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 the whatnot. I mean, this has has reduced Papelbon to. Um, persona non grata. He's just he's completely untouchable, which is why the Nats are stuck with him. Um, I, I don't know that, that the Nats and specifically Mike Rizzo are underestimating the Nats fan base. I think at this point um, it's part of Rizzo's hubris that he went out and he made this deal for Papelbon knowing um, all of the problems that, that he's had throughout his career with, with teammates and with fans and everything else. Um, 
thinking that, oh, I'm going to go out and bring Papelbon, and I'm such an effective um, executive that, 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 that it's going to turn Papelbon into a team player. Well, it just didn't happen. Um, the, the, the problem now is that, that Rizzo has to double down on it um, because Papelbon's untouchable. So now um, Rizzo has to say, you know, this guy's our closer, and, um, you know, and Nats and, and fans, you know, you have to like it or lump it. Um, he doesn't have any other choice. He has to double down on it because um, because his hands are tied because Papelbon is just untradeable. Now that Drew Storen's out there, the big problem, as we discussed last year, was finding an eighth-inning guy now that Tyler Clifford was traded away. Uh, do you think they have that guy on the roster right now? Is Trevor Gott going to grow into that role? He's young. He's kind of untested in that role. Uh, do you think Sean Kelly's signed specifically to be that eighth-inning guy, set-up man, do they go with a Rugi Lugi combination of Blake Trinan since he can't get lefties out and Felipe Rivero against the lefties in the setup role? Uh, I, as I wrote in our notes here that I sent you, I don't think Dusty Baker is going to all of a sudden start doing matchups and do what we'd probably like him to do and just match up regardless, not have set roles for relievers. Not enough of a trend around the league yet that I can see him really doing that. But do you think they have that guy now, the setup guy that's going to get the bridge to Papelbon, or do you think they're still need to make some moves in that bullpen to make sure that they have the arms. No, I, I think I think I think Kelly, I think Gott, I think Trinan, I think all three of them um are going to be candidates. I don't know um I don't know which one will win out at, at the end of spring training. I think um I think they would like Trinan to be that player. Um and like I said, if he can um if he can find a third pitch over the winner that, that somehow makes him even reasonably effective against lefties, I think they would love for Blake Trinan to assume that role. Um, but I think that's specifically why they got um, Sean Kelly and, and, and Trevor Gott because these are guys that have, have that experience in that role as well. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't see them going out and spending any more money on the bullpen um, with the with what little that landed in oldest Chapman for the Yankees. Um, I'm shocked that Rizzo didn't go in on that and, and, and try to make that deal. But but I think that also says that. Um, that Rizzo thinks he's done a pretty good job rebuilding this bullpen. So, um, so no, I don't see them going out and getting another major league arm to compete back there. Um, I think I think that he thinks they've got enough candidates right now, um, and it'll sort itself out, and um, and they'll be able to line up the um, you know the, the lefties the way the way that they want to, and not be forced into um, Rivero being that eighth, that eighth inning guide simply because he's the last one standing. Yeah, I agree. I don't see them doing much more. I think the roster as it's set right now is pretty much how they're going to go into spring training. Granted, he's been saying that all along and continues to make moves, so we'll see if Rizzo is finally done. But we are done for the night. Nats Nightly sponsored by the District Sports page at federalbaseball.com. If there's anything happening, if they do make any moves going forward here, I'm sure we'll talk to you again. But for now, let's see what the Nationals do going forward and get ready for spring training. It's only less than 40 days away now. Well, it was a pleasure. Lots of fun. Talk to you soon, sir.